It is really good to be back with you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Kathy and I were gone for two weeks. We were in London at the World Track and Field Championships. I want you to know I have a new favorite person. My new favorite person is the customs agent. No, it's not Usain. We'll talk about that in a second. There's a customs agent in London that as I walked through customs, she asked me why I was there. I said, I'm here for the World Track and Field Championships. And bless her heart, she said, oh, will you be participating? (laughs) No, I will not be. Um, I wore a t-shirt. Just so you guys would know that, yeah, I was actually there. You know, I not only was there, I got the T-shirt. Um, I was hanging out with Usain Bolt. We spent a lot of time together at the Wax Museum, but we, we were still together anyway. So I wanted to have pictorial proof of the fact that I was there as well. We had a, a great time, um, but it's very good to be back as well. I also want to thank Kyle and Craig for filling in the pulpit while I was gone. I understand they were unscriptural. Did not wear their bow ties. And I'm not wearing one today, so that's three weeks in a row, but we'll remedy that next week for sure. We'll be back to bow ties. I also want to thank Mary Louise and Judy and Zane and countless others who picked up the slack for me while I was gone over the last two weeks. Um, It's really nice to be able to, to leave and go away and relax and kind of unplug and know that everything will be taken taken care of very well while you're gone. And and we have those kind of people here. So I definitely appreciate that. And if you'd express your appreciation to them, I would appreciate that as well. Well, as the kids know, school's back in session. The travel time is kind of over. We're back to some sense of normalcy. And I thought it'd be a really good time for us to kind of refocus ourselves on our 2017 theme. As as uh, was just mentioned just a few moments ago, it's printed up here, it's in our bulletins, it's all around living the word in the world. So I'm going to be doing kind of a mini-series the next five weeks, refocusing us on our theme for the year. And before I really kind of set the stage for what we'll be doing over the next few weeks, let's take a few moments and let's pray. Our Father, it is good to be together. And Father, we thank you for calling us together as a family, together as a church, together as the body of Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that this is not a walk that we could do on our own. Father, help us to rely on your power and on the power of Jesus Christ and on the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, on the power of the church, the power that is here as we gather together as as fellow believers, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ. But Father, help us not to just be Christians in these walls. Father, help us to engage in the race. Father, help us to take the preparation that we do here, the, the, the words that we hear, and take them out into the world and live them in the world so that others may see you and may see Jesus Christ in us so that they too may come to know you. And Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, I want to start out by trying to transport you back to London about 10 days ago. So I want you to kind of work with me here and picture a scene from London. I want you to picture a large stadium and picture one at a time eight athletes that sprint out of a tunnel onto a track 
and they're introduced to 60,000 cheering fans. And there is a buzz of anticipation in the air. And all eight of the finalists in the 100-meter dash complete their final warm-ups, and they're preparing to determine who's going to wear the gold medal, who's going to wear the unofficial title of the world's fastest man. And as race time nears, each man makes his way to his lane, and he stands in front of his starting blocks, and the final introductions begin. And with each man's larger-than-life image projected up on giant video screens, one by one, each of them is introduced. And you hear in lane nine, from Great Britain and Northern Ireland, it's Reese Prescott. And since we're in Britain, you can imagine the crowd goes wild. Then in lane eight, from the United States of America, it's Justin Gatlin. And the crowd boos. And then in lane seven, from Jamaica, it's Johan Blake. And in lane six, from the Republic of South Africa, it's Akini Sabini. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but I said it with confidence, right? In lane five, from the United States of America, it's Christian Coleman. And in lane four, from Jamaica, it's world record holder and defending champion Usain Bolt. And the crowd goes wild. And in lane three, from France, it's Jimmy Vico. And in lane two, from China, it's Bingtian Su. And as you look at each of those men's faces, these incredibly fit and fast men, you see the enormity of this occasion. They're nervous. They're anxious. They're excited. And they are extremely focused. They're ready to run the race. After all, it's the world championship. And even though this race is going to last a little less than 10 seconds for some of these men, and just a little more than 10 seconds for some of the other men, this race represents much more than 10 seconds in time. This race is the culmination of years of work, years of training, years of lifting, years of strict eating and sleeping habits. Years of injury prevention exercises and years of injury recovery protocols. Years of travel, years of competition, years of coaching, and it's all coming down to this one moment. And they're ready to run. And finally, they hear and we hear the race starter utter a very familiar command on your marks. And then each man settles into his starting blocks. And each of them begins their elaborate ritual of final preparation. They set their feet just so. Their hands are placed just right. And the stadium, all 60,000 people go completely silent. And the announcer says, shh. And you could literally hear a pin drop. 
They're ready to run, and we're ready for them to run. But it isn't quite time yet. The starter waits, and it seems like he waits and waits. He waits until every runner is perfectly set and perfectly still. And then we hear the starter say one final word, set. And all eight men rise up as one in their blocks. And all 60,000 fans rise up as one in their seats. They're ready to run the race and we're ready for them to run. We all know what happens next, right? The gun fires. Eight athletes explode from their blocks. A roar explodes from the throats of 60,000 fans. And in a blur of churning arms and churning knees, eight impossibly fast humans run the race. Finally, after all that training, all that preparation, all that buildup, they run the race they've been training and preparing for. The race that they've been building up to. They run the race. That's an an image I want you to hang on to during today's lesson. But I also want you to hang on to it over the next four weeks as we talk about running the race. I want you to hang on to this image of prepared and primed runners putting their training and their preparation to the test by running the race. I want you to have this image of runners who are ready to run the race rather than just spend their time preparing to run the race. Now let me give you one more image to hang on to today and for the next four weeks. Imagine that same setup, the same introductions, the same buzz in the air, the same anticipation in the stadium, the same preparations, the same commands on your mark, set. Imagine the same gun firing. Only this time, imagine, instead of eight athletes exploding from their blocks at the first sound of the gun, imagine instead those eight men frozen in place in their blocks. The gun fires and they don't move. And then imagine seeing those eight athletes kind of sheepishly standing up and strolling off the track and going back inside the tunnel from which they first emerged. On your marks, set, bang, and then nothing. No race. And now imagine later on in the day watching a joint press conference with all eight of those men. And imagine hearing each one of those men answer the same question in essentially the same way. Why didn't you run the race? Well, I decided I wasn't ready to run. I decided I needed more training. I decided I needed more preparation. I decided now wasn't a good time for me to run the race. Maybe next time I'll feel ready. It's kind of a sad image, isn't it? It's kind of a pathetic image when you think about it. That 
eight men would spend all of that time in training and preparation and then choose not to run the race that they've been preparing for. Well, what does that image have to do with us? Well, it's an image that I think we should pay special attention to because the church has been criticized, and I think fairly criticized, for spending way too much of its time preparing to run and not very much time actually running. Criticized for spending a lot of time preparing and little time actually doing. That's why we adopted this theme for this year, the theme of living the word in the world. We selected this theme because we recognize that Christ followers have an unfortunate tendency to spend a lot of time preparing to do the things that Christ did, but not very much time actually doing what Christ did. And James reminds us that when we do that, that when we spend all of our time preparing to run but never actually entering into the race, James says we're deceiving ourselves. We're claiming to be runners, but all we are is really preparers. James put it this way in James 1.22. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, I don't want you to mishear James, and I don't want you to mishear me. Neither James nor I have anything against training and preparation. Training is vital. Preparation is immediately and incredibly important. Hearing the word is vitally important. Reading and studying the word and discussing the word and and talking about the word is invaluable and it must be done. We're called to train. In fact, we're called into very strict training. But we're not called to training for training's sake. Our training is to have a purpose And that purpose isn't to leave us frozen in our blocks. The purpose is to prepare us to run the race that God has put before us. We're called to prepare so we then can go and do. And I know sometimes we get uncomfortable with focusing on the doing part of Christianity. We get uncomfortable with focusing on, the, focusing on doing things because it's really easy sometimes to make Christianity sound like it's all about what we do. And it's easy to make it sound like our salvation is dependent on what we accomplish. So I want to make sure that you hear me and you understand me when I say that salvation is not the product of our works. We don't do good things in order to be saved. We don't run the race in order to be saved. But I also want you to hear me when I say this. Our salvation should always produce good works. Our salvation should always produce ministry. Our salvation should always lead to us running the race. Listen to what Paul wrote to Titus. Titus chapter 3 beginning in verse 3. 
Paul says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And so this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have, been, who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Who saved us? God saved us. Why did God save us? Well, God saved us because he is full of mercy. And how did he save us? Not through our actions, not through anything that we did, but through the actions of Jesus Christ. And how should we respond? Well, we should respond to that by doing what is good. By running the race. We might put it this way. We're not saved by doing. We're saved for doing. Let me say that again. We're not saved by doing. We're saved for doing. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved to do good works. We took this trip to London as a part of a tour. It was a tour that was sponsored by Track and Field News. How many of you are familiar with that magazine? Yeah, you don't see it in very many doctor's offices or anything. Track and Field News is a magazine for track nerds. And our group was made up of a bunch of track nerds. And I fit right in. We were surrounded by people who know more about running and throwing and jumping than most people would consider as mentally healthy. We were surrounded by people who have tremendous knowledge about track and field. They watch it and they read about it and they talk about it and they're very good at telling you how you should run your race. But when you look around at them, I can tell you very few of them are prepared to run a race themselves. And I want us to understand that if we aren't careful, we can become Christian nerds. We can spend all of our time listening and reading and talking about doing good deeds. We can become very good at telling others how they should run the race without ever actually leaving the blocks ourselves to run the race. You see, coming together every Sunday like we are doing today, if we come together every Sunday just to talk about being better, That doesn't guarantee that we will actually become better. 
coming together every Sunday to talk about being like Jesus certainly doesn't guarantee that we are becoming like Jesus. Information is important and information is good, but information is not the same thing as transformation. Jesus illustrated this perfectly with a parable of the Good Samaritan. You'll remember that it was an expert in the law. It was a man with all kinds of information about God who triggered this story. The expert in the law, the man with all the information, came to Jesus and he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As Jesus often does, he didn't answer. Instead, he asked him, he asked the expert, what do you think is the key to salvation? And this expert, this man with great knowledge, answered this way in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He said, I believe the key to salvation is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert wasn't satisfied. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus another question. He said, well, and who is my neighbor. And then Jesus told him this story, this story about a traveler who was robbed and beaten and left beside the road for dead. And he told about how two very religious men, men with great knowledge about God, chose to ignore this opportunity to minister to this beaten man. And he told about a third man. He told about a man who people like this expert hated Hated them for, their, for religious reasons, hated them for racial reasons. And Jesus told how this hated man was the one who stopped and helped and ministered the beaten man. He didn't just stop and help and minister, he did it in extravagant ways. And then as Jesus concluded the story, he asked this knowledgeable expert another question. He said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the knowledgeable expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, Jesus was telling him, information is not the same as transformation. Knowing what you should do is not the same as going and doing it. Knowing that you should love God, that you should love God with all of your being, knowing that you should love your neighbor as yourself is not the same as actually loving God. It's not the same as actually loving your neighbor. Knowing that being a neighbor means ministering and showing mercy to your neighbors, that isn't the same as actually ministering and showing mercy to your neighbors. And the only way that we can see that transformation is occurring in our lives, the only way that we can see that we are transforming from just knowing to actually doing is for us to leave the blocks and run the race that God has put in front of us. That's the true path 
to holiness. And we're called to be holy. You know, somewhere along the line, I'm not sure exactly where it started, but Christians began to define holiness based more on what you didn't do than on what you did do. In other words, holiness became defined in the church as the absence of badness. So if you don't lie, steal, cheat, lust, or kill, then you must be holy because those things aren't in your life. So that's why people who wanted to be holy became identified with things like monasteries and convents. The thinking went something like this. If you'll just remove yourself from the world, if you'll remove yourself from other people, if you'll spend all of your time reading scripture and praying and thinking pure thoughts, then you will be found holy in God's eyes. It sounds good, but there's a problem with it. The problem with it is it isn't biblical. It's the equivalent of never leaving the starting blocks to run the race. See, the Bible makes it very clear that holiness isn't just the absence of badness. It's also the presence of something. It's the presence of active goodness. Holiness does. Holiness runs. Holiness runs the race. James put it this way, James 1.26. He said, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Holiness is what? Well, it's certainly the absence of badness. Holiness is keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world. But it's also the presence of goodness. It's also ministry. Ministry like looking after widows and orphans. Ministry like looking after the beaten man beside the road. So God blesses our training. God blesses our preparation. But God blesses, us, blesses our training and preparation so that we'll leave the starting blocks and we'll bring God's blessings to others. In God's kingdom, we're enriched and blessed when we invest in others. We're blessed and enriched by ministering to others. We're blessed and enriched when we leave the starting blocks and run the race that God has put before us. So as we end, I want to say we have been called to take our marks. We're in our starting blocks. And the question that we want to address over the next four weeks is this. Are we going to run the race? Or are we going to stay frozen in our blocks? Let's pray. Father, it is easy for us to stay in the comfort and in the safety of this place. And Father, we thank you for giving us this place, this family, this, this time that we can come together, Father, to be refreshed and renewed. Father, for us to train and prepare. 
But Father, help us to be people who don't stay frozen in this safe and comfortable place. Father, help us to be people who hear you say go and who go and do and minister. Father, help us to be people who run the race. I pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, let's resolve to no longer linger in our blocks. Let's run the race. Let's stand and let's sing together. Say your life,